Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see you today. It's great to be able to uh, not wonder if the car is going to start this morning <clears throat> when you turn that key. Thank you, Lord. As I mentioned earlier, we're starting a new uh, sermon series for the month of February. Just think, it's February. It is, it is February already. Those of you that are still having a hard time writing 2019, get used to it. It's here. It ain't going anywhere. <clears throat> but let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you that are parents, <clears throat> on Christmas Eve... You wait, you wait until Christmas Eve when the kids have gone to bed to put their toys together. How many of you, have you ever done that before? Anybody, have, have you ever done that before? Okay, this is good. This is therapy. And, and um, some of y'all need to learn. Just don't buy stuff that needs assembly, okay? <clears throat> don't. But, but some of us have come to detest those words, some assembly required. And I want you to understand that as followers of Christ, some assembly is required. We don't come completed. We need to grow into ultimately what Jesus wants us to become. We need to grow into completion. The series that we're doing is a play on words, and really what, what it means is, is that we're going to look at some major truths that are found in the minor prophets. And it's not a very tricky series title, but it's all I could come up with after a lot of thought and conversation and, 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 and having my staff help us out uh, to try to come up with that. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at one scripture from the book of Micah. Toward the end of the Old Testament, it's one of those little tiny books. And I want us to look at Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. Where the minor prophet Micah says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The prophet Micah is calling Israel and Judah to repentance. And God is, through the prophet, asking this question, how should I approach God? How should we approach God? He said, should we do it by bowing low? Should we do it by making sacrifices of, of cows or of lambs? Or should we do it through a sacrifice of oil poured over an altar? In fact, they even asked the question, should we sacrifice even our children? Should we, should we give them in sacrifice to you, God? Is that what you require? Even the most, and, and this, is, this is in Scripture now, I'm not, I'm not saying this for you and I, even our firstborn. In Scripture, firstborn represented something. God, is that how you want us to approach you? Well, God answers that question in Micah 6.8. And I want to start by asking the question, what is good? Because that's where he starts. He's shown you, O mortal, what is good. Well, what is good? 
That word good in the Hebrew, it means agreeable according to a higher nature. So how do we know what is good? How do we know, thank you, Uh, How do we know how to approach God? What is the way that we need to come to God? You know, as we, as we read the scriptures and we start at the beginning at Genesis, which if you've never read the Bible, I, I don't recommend that you start in Genesis. But if you start in Genesis and you read it, you read of creation, <clears throat> And something that God did every day at the end of the day. Did you know that God was like, he's a contractor. Did you know that? I took an ice cube. I better not do that. Either I'll choke or I'll crunch it, something. But God is, a, is like a contractor. And I, I don't know this because I've been a contractor, but I've tried to play one before. And at the end of the day, what do you do? What do you do at at the end of the day when you're a contractor and you're building something at the end of the day when you're done building, what do you do? You step back and you look at it and you go, wow, man. And every day at the end of his day of creating, God stepped back and he said, it is good. In fact, on the sixth day when he created man, he said, it's real good. Okay? That was, man was his prize creation. Every day he did that. And I, I want, and when, when God created man, and this is one, I, got, I want you to see this now. When God created Adam, Scripture says he was alone. He had no one else of his kind. He was alone, and God saw it and said what? It's not good. I tell this to, to couples when I'm doing their, their wedding. I'm looking at TJ right there when you and Chantal got married. I said to you that God alone knows what is good and what is not good for you. Okay? Based on that right there. God saw that man was alone, said it's not good. He saw the creation at the end of the day. He said it is good. God knows what's good. God knows what is not good. And literally... He shares it with us what is good. He establishes what is good in Jesus' ministry. They were trying to butter him up one day. And they referred to him as good teacher. Jesus responded by asking them, why do you call me good? In Mark chapter 10, verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus was not saying that he was not good. What he was really saying is, you're right. I am good, and it's because only God alone is good, and I am God the Son. God has established what is good, and God demonstrates that goodness to you and I. And we don't have to guess what is good. Romans 5, 8 I love this scripture. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has demonstrated to you and I what good is. And God would not hold us responsible to do a good that he has not first demonstrated to you and I. And I want you to know that on our own, this, we could never be good enough. 
We can't get it done on our own. Our goodness, the scripture says, is as filthy rags. But we're not left to wonder what is good. Hebrews 13 and verse 6 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So in light of the good that God has extended toward us, we need to then respond in kind to others. Not as a way of earning our salvation, but as a way of demonstrating that we have experienced the goodness and the loving kindness of God. That causes us to respond that way. He goes on and he he asks, what is required? The Bible teaches that there is more to life than living and dying. The philosophy of our world is you only live once, so you might as well try to get as much as you possibly can. Hebrews tells us in 9.27 that it's appointed to man once to die, but after that, the judgment. And I I love Ecclesiastes, as Solomon says in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, he said, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The reality is that God has given us life. And not only our our physical life on this earth, God has given you and God has given me an eternal spirit that will go on after our life on this earth is done. When you talk to someone who has just lost a loved one, whether they are a church person or not, they will frequently say these words, Well, at least they're in a better place now. They may not even be a person of faith, but they long to believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They long to believe that there is more. And the scripture tells us that there is more to this life and that there will be a judgment that comes. God has given us life, he's given us an eternal spirit, and he's given us his commands. And along with these great gifts comes accountability. You and I will stand and we will be accountable before God. I don't know about you, but the first time that I learned this was from my dad. Hi, Dad. He's watching. Only it'll be Tuesday before he's watching. But he's watching. My dad said, Kevin, one day you will stand before God and you will give an account. Now, he, he was really specific because he, he knew where my weakness was. And he said, of every word you say. But it sunk into my heart. I'm going to give an account one day. There will be accountability. Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, what much will be demanded. In the King James, it uses the word required. Much will be required. It's the same word in Micah 6.8, and it means to, to practice, to study, to follow, to seek with application. 
One commentary that I read said that it's, it's principles of righteous conduct, not merely formal worship. God does not put upon you and say, you know what, to be right with me, you need to go to church. Because really, church is, is what we associate with worship. And we can say that that is true. I will post on Facebook and I will encourage people to join us that day for worship. But that's just the formal aspect of it. And that's just for a period of an hour and 15 minutes or so once a week. That, is, that does not encompass what our worship really is. But we need to understand what it means what is required of us. He is asking us to practice a relationship with Him and a lifestyle that reflects Him. And through His Son Jesus, He's already shown us what this is. And God doesn't require something of us that He's not already shown us, and ultimately, He will hold us accountable for what He requires of us. So what does He require? He gives us that, those answers. It's a perfect, perfect message. I mean, if you, if you go to Bible college and you, uh, you go to the class where they teach you how to preach, it's called homiletics, you, you need to find scriptures just like this because there's three points. And we all know that every preacher wants three points. And I throw off the worship team every time I say that there's more than three points in my message. But the first thing that he says, here's what I require of you, is to act justly. God is saying, I've shown you what is good, and I'm requiring this of you, that you will act justly. Well, how does someone act justly? To act means to fashion or to accomplish, to produce, to work at, to produce with results, to acquire, to bring about. In other words, not just talk about it. You've got to do something. In order to act justly, it requires some type of action. The pulpit commentary says it means to act equitably, to hurt no one by word or deed. In order to act justly, there has to be an element of intentionality. It can't just be accidental. When we read that word justly, it comes from the word just. And we think of the word justice, which is a legal term. And, and the word justice, it can, it can literally, it's a, it's a range of meanings from, from uh, that, that initial declaration of an ordinance or, or a, a declaration of litigation all the way to the execution of judgment and punishment. That's the word justice. It is literally an entire process. So when I think of justice, what comes to my mind is Lady Justice. And Lady Justice, since the 16th century, has been depicted with wearing a blindfold which represents impartiality. And it's the idea that justice should be applied without regard to a person's wealth or their power or their status. I frequently pray from the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 5, 
because James tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, that he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and he'll receive it. And in praying that that verse and, and, and meditating on James and reading through James and, and having done it many times. I mean, James is just a great book, but, but not only is it a great book, but it's, it's not a long book, and so you get through it very easily. And, and coming to chapter 3 and reading verse 17 and, and remembering that I've been praying for wisdom, okay? I, God, I need your wisdom. And then all of a sudden you run across that word wisdom again and it stands out to you. And in James 3.17, he said, but the wisdom that comes down from heaven, and, I, and he had my attention immediately. I've read this numerous, many, many times, but all of a sudden, because I was so intently praying for wisdom, it stands out to me, and, and, he, and look at what he said. He says, but the wisdom that comes down from heaven must first of all be pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. What God is requiring of us that we would operate in the the wisdom that comes down from heaven. To act justly, we treat people the same. We treat everyone well, whether it's in our speech, whether it's in our actions. Friday, I picked up the food for the men's conference at Walmart, and um, and I I'll tell you what I uh, there was a, a guy working here in the church Friday morning after I got back, and he's and he showed me his phone in in Gwyn it was still 31 below regular temperature Friday morning um, down on Sawyer. and and I'm telling you I picked up that food at that that online you know ordering thing at Walmart and I I got out of my truck and I am not kidding you I'm tell it was so cold I could not believe how cold it was and it was windy and they brought those groceries I was like this is the smartest thing I've ever done in my life only only I didn't even do it Kay Kay ordered it for us. So, so she ordered the food. I just had to pick it up. And so the, the two ladies come out. They're all bundled up and they're pulling two wagons full of food. And so we loaded into the truck. And, and the lady said, here, here's a bag of snacks for you so you don't get too cold today. I was blown away. Now, I don't eat any of those snacks that were in the bag, <laughs> you know. I'm like, well, I'll save these for one of my favorite diabetics in a time of need. But, but I, I, I was blown away by that. Now, I'm sure it's a part of just what they do. And it wasn't these two ladies like, brr, it's cold. Let's make sure this guy has something to eat. But, but it really made an impact on me. They don't know me. And I, you know what, if, if my order was a $10 order, uh, because it was the first time we'd ever done it, I, I would probably imagine that that snack would have been given either way. But I'm telling you, because they, there was such a, a kindness to that, it really made an impression on me. It was so cold, and we were getting that stuff loaded in, and my doors were sticking, and nothing seemed to work right. 
Here's a snack. I just, I mean to tell you, it made an impression on me. When we act and, and, and function with being justly, it doesn't matter who that person is. It doesn't matter what their role is or what their job is or, or how much they make. We're going, to, we're going to treat them with justice no matter what. We're going to be impartial. We're going to be blind to their circumstances. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what God calls us to do. Next, he said, love mercy. You ever play that game, mercy? You ever done that? You, you know what that game is? Where you, where you, you get somebody that they'll, they'll come and, and you grab hands, you know, like this, interlocking your fingers. Have you ever done that? And then when somebody says go, you just, you just got to try to knuckle them under. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, okay, that's like, that's like a middle school boy's favorite way to get started holding girls' hands. You know, you make it into a competition. And, and you be nice to her, you know, you don't, oh, oh, you know, you don't really hurt her. But if it's, if it's guys, I mean, somebody's going to get hurt, you know, somebody, and, you, and they, they bend your hand, and, and it just, I mean, it's just terrible. Somebody wins and somebody loses, not good. But mercy, the pulpit commentary says that it's to be guided in conduct to others by loving kindness. Did you know that, that grace is where you receive something that you do not deserve. How many of you are glad for grace, for God's grace? Oh, I, I am really glad for God's grace. Mercy is different than grace. We often say mercy and grace together. You ever notice that? We'll talk about God's mercy and his grace. But where grace is something that we receive because when we don't deserve it, Mercy is where we don't receive something that we do deserve. There's a huge difference. He said, I want you to love mercy. In the Gospels, Jesus uh, says that to love our neighbor is literally, it, it's like loving God. He said, love God with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then he said, and the second commandment, love your neighbor, is just like it. So literally, when we, when we love someone else, when we display that love, when, we, when we're at guided in, in our conduct with loving kindness toward other people, when we're loving our neighbor, we are literally loving God at the same time. He says that we would literally be identifiable to the world by the love that we have for others. When people come into the church, when they, when they come in and they, whether they're invited by a friend or they say, you know what, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to find a church to worship in. If they see a group of people that love one another, they'll say, man, the love of Jesus is in that place. When the world watches us care about others that are in the community, they recognize, they say, the love of Jesus is in that place because I see those people loving other people. James says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 27. He said, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Mercy is directed particularly at those who are in need of it. A couple of weeks ago, our, the director of our thrift store ministry, Barb Markavich, she, she came to me and, and she said, hey, um, we have this request from a couple of brothers. I, I shared it last week. Um, a couple of brothers, uh, Jim and Bill Marietti, they are affectionately just known as the Marietti brothers. And, uh, and um, J- Jim is 85. I'm not exactly sure how old Bill is. He's a little bit younger. But these guys, they're, they're, you know, they're getting up there, okay? And, and they have had a relationship with the thrift store. And, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and they needed to move from, uh, from their rental out here in Harvey into Snowberry. Okay, and I'll be honest with you, I did not know it was such a, a, a hard thing to move somebody into Snowberry. Okay, I did not know that. I mean, you got two days. They, they, could, they could move in in, in the, the month of February. You had Wednesday and Thursday of this last week were the only two days that they could move in, and you have to move them in between the hours of 8 and 4 while the office is open. Okay. It's two coldest days of the year. The two coldest days of the year, the only two days of the month that these guys can move in. And I, I just want to say thank you to the, the, the team. We had like seven guys and, and two ladies that came and helped us move these guys in. It was spectacular. We got their stuff into that truck, and, and, it, and it was actually warmer out here in Harvey, but man, when we got into town, it was brutal. And, and we, we finally got that, that truck backed up to Snowberry, and we got that stuff, and we, there was a system. You had, to, you had to unload part of it and then shut the garage door and then take that stuff up the elevator. And, and I'm telling you, those people, I don't, I don't know what it looks like when anybody else moves in, but we had that place a mess for a while, okay? And so we get their stuff and we're putting it in their room and, and, and Bill and, and Jim are there and, and we're, Barb is directing traffic. And, and I got to tell you something about, about Barb, okay? Now, if you listen to Chuck, okay, her husband, Chuck, I'm not going to say anything bad about Chuck. Chuck calls her a different name than I do, Okay. Her sisters call her a different name. Her folks call her a different name. Her nieces do. Her grandnieces usually call her by the same name I do, except I don't call her auntie. But, th- but Chuck calls her Barbara, okay? I call her Barb. Her friends usually call her Barb, all right? And I'm, I'm man, I'm, and I'm, I, got, I got all my winter stuff on, and we're, we're moving stuff into this, you know, and we're starting to sweat, and, and I'm, I'm just moving. And these guys were so grateful. They were so grateful, and they, they made it a point to, to say thank you so much. And, and as a pastor, I'm, I, I'm used to, okay, I, I, get way, I get way more credit than I should. All right, and it's because of other people. And so, you know, they were grateful and hugging, you know, they thank you, and, and they loved, and they, but they, they, I hate to say, I don't want to say this, they didn't, they didn't care about me, they didn't care about the other people that were moving their stuff in. They were grateful, 
but, but Barb and Chris, they were rock stars. And I heard, I heard Bill say, Barbara. And he said it, and I literally froze in my tracks. And my head snapped around to look at him. And the, the, the attitude of love that he displayed to her was so significant that it literally burned into my mind. Okay? There's a lot going on. I'm easily distracted. Okay? And I, I locked in on one word, Barbara. The love that he felt, the love that he communicated to her was so impactful to me. Why? Because of the loving kindness that has been shown to Bill and to Jim through the Silver Creek Thrift Ministry and their staff. It was, it was life-altering. It was unbelievable when I watched it happen. I love the words of Jesus' brother James when he says, mercy triumphs. And on Wednesday, after, well, starting at 11 o'clock, when we backed that truck up to that, that, that house of theirs and we moved them to Snowberry, mercy won, mercy triumphed that day. Man, that was awesome. Romans chapter 13, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. To love mercy is to have experience of, receive, of having received mercy. And if you wish to love mercy, you, you must ultimately be willing to give it. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty six. the one who is merciful, God will show himself to be merciful. We know that God is merciful because it's only by His great love that you and I are not, as the Bible says, consumed or destroyed by our own sin. And having received that mercy, we need to demonstrate it to others. And thirdly, he says, walk humbly. Walk humbly. To walk in such a way to acknowledge that we are consciously under God's eye. Both Peter and James say that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. In Philippians, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 13, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Proverbs tell us that, tells us that pride goes before destruction. Those are some serious scriptures on the subject of humility and pride. It was May 21st, 2012. This room was packed. It was not a Sunday. It was a, a special day, though, because people were gathered here to celebrate the homegoing of one of our own people that had been a part of the church since its beginning when we were called Faith Assembly. We called him Ray Sr., Ray Lubica, Ray's dad. And we were gathered there that day. Ray was 80 years old, and I'd had the privilege of spending 
a number of times around the kitchen table on Kumpala Road, having coffee and eating Vi's famous apple bars. They were good. And as the pastor, I had the privilege of sharing the message at that service, and I didn't have to wonder what I'm going to preach about because Ray made it very clear what I was supposed to preach about. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What is good? The Lord has already shown you. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Why did Ray make it known that that's what I was supposed to preach about? Now, I never had this conversation with Ray, but I'm pretty sure I know. That was what we would call Ray's life verse. That was the verse that Ray felt called to live by. And it was so important to him and so serious to him that he wanted that shared in the room while we all were remembering his life after he was gone. Now, some of you out in the hub or some of you here in the sanctuary, you actually may remember Ray as being a a Sunday school teacher. You may remember Ray as being a youth leader. When he got saved, he and I were young, and at the time they attended what was called the the Marquette Gospel Tabernacle, and because they were young and, and full of vigor, they said, hey, you guys be the youth leaders. He used to laugh about that so much. He said, if they only knew how young and foolish we really were, and they were putting kids under our leadership. He couldn't believe it. But he wanted everyone that day to know that these words were so important to him to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. You see, Ray walked humbly before the Lord. Humility is often really misunderstood. Some people think of it as being weakness, and I want you to know that it is not weakness. Humility is a willingness to place oneself in a position before God. Paul said it this way, Don't look at yourselves better than you ought. Ray lived by that. He was a humble man. Jesus, the Bible says, made himself nothing by putting on human flesh and becoming a servant. He was our example of humility. Walking in humility is not groveling on your knees before God. It's walking before him with love, acknowledging that he was willing to send his son as a ransom for my sin. And friends, we don't live in an age of modesty or humility. We live in an age of priority. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul was talking about his pedigree 
and all the great things in the Jewish tradition that he could brag about. It would be like you and I listing our accomplishments, our degrees, maybe even what family we're from in a particular area that's important. And after he listed them all, he said, but you know what, I consider them all garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That's humility. That even when we have something to brag about, that we say, you know what, none of it means anything compared, compared to serving the Lord. I'm going to invite you this morning to just stand with me all across this place. To bow your heads and close your eyes. To shut yourself in with the Lord for a moment. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that, that you call us to act justly. But, but you, haven't, you haven't put this call on us without showing us first how to do it. And, and Father, I, I thank you that it's, it's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. That we should love mercy. That we should walk humbly before you. Lord, not just saying it, but, but actually doing it. And Father, I pray that as a, as a local body of Christ, as the local church, Lord, that each of us today, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And that as, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, where we read those scriptures about communion, as it goes on and it says, let a man examine himself. Father, I pray that right now that we would examine our hearts. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will be engaged right now. That he would begin to speak to us. That we would ask ourselves, now that I know what's required of me, now that I see that God has demonstrated it for me, am I living those things out? Am I, am I acting justly? Do I love mercy? Do I walk humbly before my God? This morning, that is a, the answer to those questions. I can't answer that. Your spouse can't answer that. No one can answer that except you today. But in just a moment, we're going to just begin to sing and just turn our attention to the Lord. And I, I want to open these altars this morning and at some point of, of what I've shared this morning, if the Holy Spirit has begun to speak to you, if the Holy Spirit has begun to nudge you and He's pointing to something in your heart, I want to encourage you to respond this morning. I want to encourage you to be obedient to that leading today. Whatever that is. Whether it's acting justly, whether it's loving mercy or walking humbly before God, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe God is even touching on something this morning that for you is not exactly what I've shared, but you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you today. I just want to open these altars.
And as you come, someone's going to come from their seat and they're going to come alongside of you and put a hand on your shoulder and just begin to pray for you and intercede with you as you just find that place of prayer. So as Marie and the team just begin to lead us, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to take that step today and allow God to work in you. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that at times your Holy Spirit draws us, convicts us, challenges us. And I pray that today we will not say no to that challenge, but we will respond by saying, yes, Lord. We thank you, God, in your name.